you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 7. Today is like our Next Generation Sunday. We're kind of focusing in. If you're not a parent in the room, it's okay, because it still applies to you. About, I would say about seven or eight years ago, I was uh, reading an article, like a survey they had done uh, for 18 to 25-year-olds who were transitioning uh, kind of out of the home, and they were kind of moving into adulthood, and I was astounded. It kind of stopped me in my tracks, because I think it was something like 47% of 18 through 25-year-olds who grew up in kind of a, uh, grew up in the church, had either walked away from their faith or walked away from the church sometime during that seven-year span from 18 to 25. I, j- I just stopped for a minute and I was like, 47%, that can't be right. Let me check the stats. Who's doing this survey? And then I began to think to myself, what if that was true? This was about 2015, and I actually took this to our staff and some of our kids' leaders, and I said, I don't know about you, but when you tell me that half of our kids are going to walk away from their faith, I wholeheartedly reject that for my kids and your kids. Anybody else with me? Like, it's literally like you're taking a coin, and we're going from kid to kid, and we're like, yep, you're going to make it, right? Nope, not you. I mean, I have four kids, so if we just, statistically speaking, two out of my four are going to walk away from their faith, I'm going to say, you know what, I reject that. I'm going to do everything I can to build a foundation for my kids where they want to serve Jesus the rest of their life. Amen? That's what we want to do for you. It launched this initiative that we started at the church called 5050, and it was a strategic partnership between family and the church to say, you know what we need to do? We need to equip parents because you have your kids a lot. We need to create great environments at church, but we need to equip you to be the chief disciple makers in your home. I wrote the book called 5050. We have several back there. If you ever check your kids into City Kids, usually you receive one. It's about this strategic partnership. Let me just say this to you as well. I want to make this disclaimer because I know there's parents in the room that you may have kids that are not serving Jesus. Let me just say up front, you can do all of the things to raise your kids right, but your kids still choose, don't they? You're not a failure as, a, as, as a, a, a mom or dad if your kids have made that choice, and also their story's not over yet. Amen? Well, I want to make sure you know that. We begin to dream and we begin to strategize and implement this discipleship plan and say, you know, we got to create great spaces, but, but hear me on this. Great events for youth and great spaces on Wednesday night don't always lead to transformed lives. That we needed more than that. We needed to create environments of life change, and we needed to create these environments where kids were drawn into this adventure of following Jesus. And so we begin to change the way that we do kids and youth ministry. And honestly, it's really different from what anybody else does. And I don't think that we're saying, like, we've got it figured out. But we said, we want to take half of our time and resources to create the environments we can create. We want to take the other half of our resources and create environments for family and parents to be the chief disciple makers. I'm going to stop and do a quick commercial because I think this is important, all right? Let me say how much I appreciate uh, Mandy, who was just up here, our City Kids director, our whole City Kids team. Many of you are here, many of you are in the back. We love you so much. Thank you, our City Youth. Yeah, give them up. Give a hand for them. <clears throat> pastor Bodie, our youth pastor, our City Youth team, all of our City Family Ministry team, our City Family Ministry team continually meeting. How do we resource families? And I'm just going to tell you, parents, there's a few things you need to put on your calendar and you need to not miss them. Number one is family camp is coming up again in April of 2023. It is probably, in my estimation, in 13 years of our church, the most significant event we've ever put on. And that's why it's filling up so fast is because if you went to our first one last year, you're like, we're going back to that. An intentional time of discipleship and fun and hangout for two to three days. We have the whole Frontier Cove New Life Ranch to ourselves. It's beautiful. You need to put it on your calendar. If you have some other event, you need to cancel it. I'm serious. 
It's, it's so good. You need to make sure that your kids and your youth attend camp. Amen? I'm telling you, when kids get away, June 23rd, 1998, on a Tuesday night at 10.15 at a camp in Turner Falls, Oklahoma, God forever changed my life. You better believe I'm a pastor who's passionate about camp. God got a hold of me. I had been around church my whole life, but God made it personal that night to me. Get your kids to camp. We have Family 101 classes coming soon you're going to hear about. You have Love Tulsa Sunday where your kids need to serve alongside of you. This morning's message is this, how do we fight for the heart of the next generation? How do we fight for their heart? And let me say this, if you're in the room and you're not a parent, you're still a part of this because you're part of the body of Christ. So you are a part of community that we create an environment of life change for our kids and teenagers. You're a part of that. That's part of your role as the body of Christ. If you look through all throughout the Gospels, what is Jesus doing? He is fighting for the heart. He's continually fighting for the heart. Jesus, who, who was ministering and grew up in this Jewish culture, and so in the Jewish culture of rabbinic Judaism, the highest kind of level of authority was this oral tradition of law. They had the Pentateuch, and then they would have this oral tradition. And the oral tradition were like the, the traditions and the extra stuff. And Jesus is constantly looking at the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and he says, you, you spend so much time trying to make sure everything is covered, but you've actually many times missed the heart of Jesus. Like you've become professionals at this thing of religion. And so Jesus not only calls out their hypocrisy, but you know what he does? He redefines what it means to please God and honor God. We're going to look at this this morning. Mark chapter 7 in verse 1 says this. It says, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his, his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating food, eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Strong language. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. If you want to know what Jesus kind of cuts to the chase all throughout the gospels, it's with religious people who thought they were insiders, but are actually outsiders. He doesn't mince words. He said, no, you spend all of your time building barriers to keep people out, but the gospel is all about who God is inviting in. Like you've gotten it wrong. And so they're going to go through all of these. In fact, we don't have time, but Jesus is going to go through this list. He says, you worry about uncleanliness. Like, you are so worried that my disciples are ceremonially unclean that you, you don't worry about anything else. He would go on and say, you, you, you hold honoring your father and mother. That's a Ten Commandment, right? You say that with your mouth, but you've actually found a loophole in the system where you don't have to give financially to your mom and dad to honor them. You give it to other places because you, you're, you're literally trying to find ways out. Jesus tells them. He goes on, he says, these kosher food laws, you're so worried about what you put into your body, you should be more worried about what's coming out of your body, your lifestyle, your words. This is what Jesus is doing. You're so worried about the external. If you would just worry about the internal, actually the external takes care of itself. And Jesus is changing this dynamic all throughout Scripture. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Let's skip down to the end here. Jesus went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is 
from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. You're so worried about the external behavior, but if you deal with the inside, the outside begins to take care of itself. How many know you can have the right behavior with the wrong heart? Anybody ever been there? I've been there. You can only fake it for so long because what's in you will eventually come out of you, right? And if you don't address the heart, your behavior never actually is transformed. What your behavior is just temporarily modified. And how many know we can all fake it for a little while because we've all done it? You can fake it for so long. But our goal is not to raise good, morally conforming children, but children where right behavior flows out of the goodness in their hearts, right? How many know the same thing we want for our kids is the same thing God wants for us? He doesn't want us to be morally conforming because the Bible says so. He wants the goodness that inside of us to flow out of us, out of the fruit of the Spirit. How many know what's inside of you will eventually come out of you? If you watch the news, you'll see newscasters or a sportscaster or anchor or, or some kind of famous person and they say something, maybe a racial comment or something misogynistic or sexist and, and then all of a sudden they issue an apology. Hey, that's not who I am and that's not what I wanted to say. And, and let me tell you, sometimes you just make a mistake, but you know what happens a lot of time? What's been inside of you for, real, for a very long comes out in public. You don't just say some of these racist statements unless it's been happening deep inside of you many times because what's inside eventually surfaces over time. So here's the question, how do you and I, how do we practice gospel-centered parenting and fight for the hearts of our kids? How do we fight for their hearts? I don't want to raise just good, morally conforming kids. I want to raise kids who are passionate for God for the right reasons. How many know that's hard? That's what I want for my own life. I usually don't give a list on Sunday mornings like this, but I'm going to do this this morning, and I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Here's what I'm going to pray. I don't think all seven of these things you're going to be able to go home to apply and apply, but what I'm going to pray, especially for you parents in the room, that maybe there's one or two of these things that the Holy Spirit spotlights this morning. That you're like, man, this is an area of growth. This is something that I want to begin to move into. Number one, how do we practice gospel-centered parenting and fight for the hearts of our children? Number one, we must give them a story worth living for. We have to give our kids and our young people a story worth living for. I preached on this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to go in depth here. You know why many people are opting out of the church or Christianity? Because they think they found a better story. The greatest story that ever lived is the gospel story. It's a story of life. It's a story of adventure. It's a story of sacrifice. It's a story where you go, you leave everything to follow Jesus on this grand adventure of obedience. And guess what? When we as the church don't give them that story, they opt out for a better one. Some of our teenagers are saying, man, if the church, if this is the best story you've got, I can find a better story somewhere else. They can't, but they think they will. And that story will lead to destruction. And that story will lead for them wandering around for many years. And maybe they find their way back and maybe they don't. But it's our job as a community of faith to say, there is no better story than this. And we invite you in to join us as we live on mission for Jesus. Amen? I preached on this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to go any farther. Number two, we must reflect the unconditional love of the Father. You and I have to reflect the unconditional love of the Father. Have your children experienced the relentless and unconditional love of the Father through your life? Is it going to be easier for them to understand the unconditional love of the Father or harder because of the way that you parent? Let me say this this morning. There are so many humbling, sobering things I'm going to say this morning, and I'm not perfect in this either. But are we leading our children to the heart of the Father? 
Let me tell you what, what I've done in my experiences. Many times I, I look at my kids and I say this verbally, hey, I just want you to know I love you regardless of what you do. Like my boys who are always in sports, my, my oldest son, he's so hard on himself tonight, he has a doubleheader baseball game. And he is so particular, like he thinks he should bat 1,000. I was like, buddy, the best hitters bat 300. That means one out of every three or four times if you hit something. Like he's so hard on himself, he thinks he should pitch a perfect game. And I have to look at him all the time. I was like, buddy, if you never get another hit in your life, guess what? Dad loves you. Like if we quit baseball tomorrow, like you are loved. Don't get those two things confused. Like I have to work on his heart because he'll begin to think I'm only as good as the last thing that I've done, right? I'm only as good as my performance. What's something else you tell our kids? Guess what? You can always come home. You'll never go so far that you can't come back home. The love of the father and the position of us as parents is that we are out on the street corner like Luke chapter 15 and we are looking left and right and we're saying at any moment, you remember that prodigal son at the very worst of his life? What did he remember? He remembered the goodness of the father. I remembered how good dad was. I don't know if he's going to take me right back, but I'm at least going to try. Man, that your kids can always come home. That you don't earn my affection. You're my son, you're my daughter, period. Do you withhold your love? Do you withhold your affection or acceptance based on their performance or beliefs or behaviors? If so, you are perpetuating a cycle of performance over the gospel. How we drive the gospel deep in the hearts of our kids is getting them to understand you are loved regardless. You know what else helps this? Is by admitting your mistakes. How many know some of those powerful words you can say as a parent? I'm sorry. Like you haven't parented unless you've yelled at your kids to stop yelling at each other. Come on now. I do that all the time. Dad's sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you to stop yelling at your sister. Right? I'm sorry. This is sobering. Parents, listen to this. If we are not receiving our identity completely and fully in Christ, we will struggle to create a space where our children are unconditionally loved. If you're not receiving your identity in Jesus, you will begin to project things on your kids. We will parent from our insecurities. We will place, base our identity on their behavior or their performance. You're only as good as your kids' grades or how well they did and fill in the blank. You will place heavy weights and expectations on them. You'll find yourselves constantly frustrated because they're not living up to this image of perfection or whatever you have in your head. You'll resort to control over influence. We must reflect the unconditional love of the Father. Number three is this. We must align our lives and our values. Another sobering truth is this. It must be in you before it will be in them. If you are not embodying it, if you are not valuing it in your life, don't expect your kids to value it, especially as they get older, right? Nothing is more difficult, especially for a teenager and a young adult, when they see a significant gap between what their parents say and what their parents do. The more significant that gap is, the more difficult it will be for your child to reconcile their faith. Man, mom and dad keep telling me to do this, but I don't really see this in their life. That's difficult to reconcile. Anybody ever been there? When, you, when you're surrounded by people and, and, and you can only fake it for so long because how many know as your kids get older, it don't matter what you say, they see exactly what you do. Like you can tell them one thing about your marriage, but they see how you treat mom. They see how you treat dad. That's sobering to me. Like my kids are getting to that age where it's like, now they're going to be looking at my behavior more than what I say, right? 
Let me say this to you, and I, I say this in a loving way, not condemning at all, but I think one of the reasons why 18 and 25-year-olds are walking away from the church is because they grew up in families who didn't value church. Mom and dad picked trips, lake, sports, any moment they could. We started attending a church twice a month, and then it became once a month, and then it became holidays. Let me tell you, when your kids turn 18 to 25, they're going to walk away from it because you never valued it. We never gave to this, we simply attended it. That's easy to discard. And we have to say that out loud because I believe that's why many of our young adults are walking away. Matthew chapter 23, chapter 23 verse 27 says this, Jesus, this is the woe passages to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. I mean, Jesus is coming down really hard in this, these passages. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Like these are, Jesus is not mincing words here. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. She said, if you would just, again, take the time to focus on the inside, then what you begin to produce is the fruit of the Spirit. As children get older, if you're taking notes and following along, as our children get older, our journey with them moves from control to influence. Our journey moves from control to influence. Why? Why does it move from control to influence? Because when your kids are young, how many know you're trying to keep them alive? Amen? <laughs> don't go there. Don't touch that. Don't do that. Your, your discipleship is right and wrong. It's black and white. It's, no, this is bad. This is good. But how many know that same, uh, that, that same kind of idea doesn't work when they get 12 and 14 and 15? You begin to move to influence, and now it becomes conversation, doesn't it? Now they're seeing things around them. It changes, and if you don't move with them from control to influence and you stay in a pattern of control, how many know your kids are going to walk away from that eventually? Control is the recipe for rebellion, right? Let me just tell you something about Pastor Matt that you didn't know. I am by nature a rule follower. Anybody else a rule follower in the room? Like, why doesn't everybody just do what you're supposed to do? But I struggle with stupid rules. Stupid rules are meant to be broken, amen? I will tell my kids sometimes, I'm like, yep, you're going to honor your authorities, but that rule is stupid. I don't know why they do that at school, right? Now, this is just, don't, don't read too much into this. Private and public schools are great. My private school that I went to wasn't great. So I did not thrive in a Christian school environment because there was a lot of people saying one thing and doing another. And I remember I was in this public middle school. I mean, people like issues of sexuality and drugs were rampant and all these things, but that, that's kind of what I expected. And I remember I got enrolled into this private school, this preparatory academy. And I can remember one of the first days that I was there and my, my group of friends, they got called to the dean's office because they, uh, you had to wear penny loafers. Anybody remember penny loafers back in the day? But they were putting quarters in their penny loafers which was against the rules. They went to the dean's office for putting nickels and quarters in their penny loafers. What world are we in here, people? I just went from like people dealing drugs over here on the outside. Now it's like, really? Nickels in our penny loafers gets you in trouble? That's a stupid rule. Come on now. Stupid rule. And, and, and this, honestly, this desire inside of me like to rebel begin to rise up because stupid rules make you want to do that. It makes you want to cross the line. Let me say this one of the things that we do in our family. We try to eliminate anything, any arbitrary rules. Now, there's a reason why we do this. And if there's not a reason behind it, then we're not going to tell you to do it. Right? Because we're going to discipline. We're, we're, we're fighting for your heart. As our children get older, our journey with them moves from control 
to influence. Number four, we must discipline for their heart, not just their behavior. We discipline for their heart, not just for the behavior. We are shaping their heart towards the ways of Jesus and the gospel. Again, that's why we remove all unnecessary or arbitrary rules. I'm not going to load you down with heavy weights that don't lead you towards Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus is counteracting all throughout the gospels. No, we're removing things that you've just built, man-made traditions that don't actually reflect the heart of God. We're going to move those out of the way so that we can get to the heart of God. Amen? And we have to do that with our kids. I'm going, to base, I'm going to discipline my kids based on what my child needs and the intentions and the motives of their heart. Did my kids do the wrong thing but with the right heart? Because how many know that matters to me? And that's going to change how I discipline. Did they do the wrong things with the wrong heart? Because how many know that matters to me? And I'm going to address the heart. I don't want to just address the behavior. I want to address the heart behind the behavior. Amen? I want to, I want to address why you did this and why you thought that was the best way. This happens, again, we have four kids. They're all really close in ages together. And so you can imagine there's conflict in the Nelson household. I just need you to know that. If you thought pastor's kids were like a step above, no, they fight every day. And they'll come to me and they're like, I can't take it anymore. And usually it's about our youngest son. <laughs> just to be honest with you. I can't take him. What do I do? I, I pull him aside, pull our, our, our oldest three aside. Hey, tell me what happened. You try to listen, right? Not just jump to conclusions, Listen to what happened. Okay, then what did you do? Well, this is what I did. Well, why did you respond like that? Well, I didn't know what to do, and finally I just got so frustrated. And so we talk about what are proper responses. Like, what's the proper response? Because guess what? You have to deal with conflict in your life. This is what I tell them. You're going to have to deal with conflict. You're going to have to learn how to do it here. You're going to have to learn to do it in the real world. All right, so let me tell you what we don't do. We don't call our little brother that because we don't speak those words over anybody. Number two, we don't physically result to violence, <laughs> right? <laughs> Here's some alternative ways. Like we discipline our kids, but again, are, are you trying to shape their heart or are you just trying to get them to do the right thing? They can do the right things for the wrong reasons. And every time we discipline, we have an opportunity to shape their hearts toward Jesus. But you know what I want my kids to know? You know why I discipline? You know why mom and I discipline? Because we love you. You know why God disciplines us? Because he loves us. And discipline leads us toward the heart of God in life. And God disciplines those he loves. We discipline you because we love you, right? Gospel-centered discipline, leading our kids to the heart of Jesus. Number five is this. We must never place secondary issues over primary issues. This is my soapbox, people. I'm not going to stay here very long. How many know that good school is important? How many know grades are important? Sports, extracurricular activities, awards, all great things, right? How many know those aren't the center of the bullseye? We just need to say it out loud, parents. We need to say it out loud. I see parents obsessing over a sports team or a school or a program. I don't see those same parents obsessing over the heart of their child. And it grieves me. It grieves me. You know what Mark chapter 8 verse 36 says? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? You know what the Matt Nelson version of that is? What does it profit for your kid to get into this program and walk away from Jesus? What does it profit your kid that he's batting 350 and man, he's got a rifle at third base and he wants nothing to do with your faith? This is sobering, isn't it? And, and, and we struggle with this too. 
Because how many know I am extremely, like, I want my kids to do well. Like, I, I grew up playing baseball, and I'm the, I am a baseball dad where I'm just like, I want my kids to succeed. And I have to be careful. Like tonight, we're going to go to baseball games tonight for my oldest son, and he, he's playing at a high level of baseball right now. And I see all these dads hovering around the dugout. This is real life for me right now. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw it out there for you. They're hovering around the dugout over here, and they're like, hey, you need to do this to their kid, like every five seconds. And I know what their kids are thinking. Dad, I, I hate you. Right? I, I hate the game. I, I, I'm so sick of this. I'm trying to control, Right. And there's part of me, the competitive part of me, wants to go over there and be like, dude, you dropped your arm that whole inning pitching. And if you'll just keep your elbow up, you'll get that strike zone down. And I'm like, I'm not going over there to say that. <laughs> I will tell myself that. I'm not. I'm, he's going to figure it out. Right? I know that sounds stupid to some people, but I guess that's, uh, that's something of just like letting go of control. Letting my kids journey. Not trying to control things. Allowing him to go through even the struggles that he needs to go through. Because again, our standard is not to raise up just good, well-behaved kids, is it? We want to raise up kids where goodness flows out of their heart. Number six, almost done. We must intentionally disciple our children. We must intentionally disciple our children. Some of you know this about Lindsay and I. We are not making a statement on what you need to do. We always have to, I have to make sure we know this. We have been very much committed to the Tulsa public school system and some of the messiness that comes along with that. Right? So my wife, Lindsay, she runs the Elliott Elementary Foundation right down here, the street here, to raise money for um, our art teacher, music program, the things that, uh, for whatever reason, public school doesn't normally fund. We believe in that. We want for all kids in our city what we want for our kids. You can go to private school, that's fine. I believe in Christian schools. I think they're necessary sometimes. But guess what? Public schools and the way public schools go affect the entire city. It affects everybody. So you can't turn your face away and be like, well, I'm just not going to worry about it and deal with it. No, the public school system will, will affect the trajectory of everything that we do. And we're committed to that, which has been difficult. These COVID years were extremely difficult at times. It means that you're going to have messy situations. It means that our oldest that is now in middle school sees things that I don't want him to see. Right? Why do I tell you this? If I don't intentionally disciple my kid someone else will, right? A curriculum, a teacher, another kid, a culture, they are gonna disciple your kids. So you can either talk about sexuality and transgenderism, and you can talk about how to deal with conflict and how do we live out a Jesus lifestyle when others around us don't, or someone else will teach them. And let me tell you, nobody is gonna get to my kids before I do. I don't want anybody getting to your kids before you do. That's one of our passions is to come alongside of you to say, hey, here's the conversation starters. Why do I love family camp? Is because we have time together and we have a time where you're gonna go as a family and you're gonna talk about the things of God and how do you grow together. And it's gonna be time where you're able to shape the hearts of your kids and get on an intentional plan together of what growth looks like in your family. How many know that matters? I'm not gonna let someone else disciple my kid before I do. Number seven, we must develop a passion for prayer in the presence of God. It's the last one. We must develop a passion for prayer in the presence of God. How many know you, me, our children must experience 
the presence of God. I am like fourth, fifth generation Pentecostal. I grew up unashamedly Pentecostal. I am still to this day unashamedly Pentecostal. In my upbringing, did I see people fake a move of the Spirit? You bet I did. Did I see people do weird stuff? Uh Uh-huh. Maybe every week. Did I see them manipulate the gifts of the Spirit at times? Yep. Was I in the room during genuine encounters and moves of the Holy Spirit that deeply shaped my life? I was. And I'll take a little bit of weird stuff for genuine moves of the Holy Spirit, personally. And it's funny because my great-grandfather who was an Assembly of God minister and my grandfather was an Assembly of God minister, now I, I operate probably Pentecostal like a little bit different than they will and my son, generations after me, will probably be, do it different than I did. But we have to have the presence of God, don't we? You know why we have to have the presence of God and this is why I ended with this? Because we can teach it to our kids, we can model it to our kids, we can create environments for our kids, but we cannot transform the hearts of our kids. So we pray and we fast and we create environments. You know the very first service we're gonna have in our new building? Midweek prayer and worship night? It's coming back. It is a thing that I have wanted to do. And there's a reason that we only have childcare for the younger kids, because we want the older kids to be in the room. And you're like, pastor, but my kid's over here like drawn on a pad or like a coloring book. Great, let him be in the room as you passionately pursue Jesus. Let him see you raising your hands. Let him see you getting on your knees and praying. Are you with me? Cultivating a place for the presence of God to grow. As they begin to watch you, let me tell you, there's a, there's a time in their life as they get older, they're gonna wanna imitate that. Man, my mom and dad are passionate about the presence of God. I'm going to cry during this part. I already know I am. Passionate talking about your kids, right? Um, Pastor Jim visited kids camp this year. On one night he was there and uh, (laughs) he sent Lindsay and I a video of our oldest on stage. And the camp speaker is with him and he's like, tell me what you're feeling. He says, man, just the power of God. And our oldest is weeping we're watching this video and we're weeping because this is what we pray for, right? We pray for these moments where God captures the hearts of our children and takes all of the things that you've done and makes it real to them. And as our oldest right now is even struggling with this move in the last few weeks, let me tell you, it's been the greatest struggle of his life. When I prayed for him the other night, I even remembered, man, the Holy Spirit's inside of you, buddy, right? You've experienced the presence of God in your life. So when you go to school tomorrow with thousands of kids who don't lift up the name of Jesus, guess what? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're going to be a world changer. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you exactly what you need when you need it to accomplish what God wants to do in your life. Amen? We have to have the presence of God. We have to foster environments. We need places where, guess what? I I don't have to worry about the time where we can just linger before God and allow God to do what God wants to do in our lives. We need the presence of God. If you would this morning, stand to your feet with me all across this room. In just a minute, we're gonna take communion. If you wanna begin to prepare your elements, you can.
parents, I want to pray for you specifically here. Whether your children are babies, infants, middle school, high school, grown out of the house, college, your influence is not over. God has stewarded us with one of the greatest jobs in the world to take his children and form their heart towards the ways of God. And how many know we need lots of grace? Amen? Lots of grace. Here's what I'm going to ask. Just every head bowed, every eye closed in the room. If you're a parent in this room, I would love for you just to kind of lift up your hands in, in kind of this way of receiving this. Would you just right here, right in front of you, right where you're at. I want you to receive this. That you don't leave this room weighted down with guilt or shame or condemnation or missed moments. But you leave this room, man, God has still given me an opportunity to make an impact, to influence. Holy Spirit, we ask today that you would move on our hearts and the hearts of our children. God, we want to create the environments. We want to lead them to the heart of God. We want, to, we want to develop the gospel inside of them. But we confess, God, that we cannot transform them. We need you, Father, to grab their hearts at whatever age they are, God, that you would draw them to you. God, we pray for us as parents this morning, Father, that you would do the deep work in us. Would you do the deep work in our hearts, God? that we would live from this place of overflowing with you, where the fruit of the Spirit are alive and active in our life, Father, so that we can give out of who we are. That we pray that this morning. I pray over every parent in this room, every parent watching online, every parent listening to this sermon throughout the week, Father, that you would move on their hearts. We pray for the kids. God, I pray for even wayward children, children who are not following you, Father. Would they come to know the goodness and the love of Heavenly Father? Would they come home? God, whatever tools and, and, and things you want to use in our life, bring them home. Bring them home. This morning, we're going to come to the table like we do every week. If you're new at City Church, this is not a time that you have to, that you have to partake in, but everyone is open. And, and if, you, if you want to, you can come to the table with us if you're hungry for more of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we invite you during this time to take him as Lord and Savior. For the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, this is what we do every Sunday as we realign our hearts around the gospel, the work of Jesus, that we were saved and rescued and redeemed so that we can walk out of these doors just in a few minutes living in light of the gospel and what Jesus has done. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the body and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the body of Christ together. Jesus took the cup, represents his shed blood poured out for us. One day you and I will stand before God in judgment. But he will not see our sin. He will see the blood of Jesus on our lives. And we will have life eternal with him. Let's take the cup together.
as always, City Church, would you take the next few minutes and practice gratitude and thankfulness in your life, just in your own way. Thank God for what he has given you, for what he has done in you. God, we're so grateful that we deserve death and you gave us life, that we were lost and you rescued us, that we were hopeless, Lord, and you reached in and grabbed us and pulled us out, that we were wandering without a home and that we could come home and find you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm invite our prayer team to come forward, any of our elders or trustees in the room as well. As we leave in just a few minutes, if you need prayer for anything in your life, make sure you stop up here with one of our prayer team. They would love just to agree with you and pray over you, whatever you may need. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you in the welcome room just across the lobby. We have a free gift for you. If you're family or friends today that came for parent commissioning dedication, we're so glad that you were our visitors today. We honor you. Thank you so much for being here. If you have your commitment card, you can turn it in the giving box or fill it out online. Thank you for walking this journey with us as we just trust God in this next season of City Church. Let's end with our mission statement. Go live it out. Wherever you are, be the gospel. God bless you. <laughs>